0: Welcome to TESO Consulting Group's DEI podcast series, Why is it so hard? Shining through the shadow of resistance. I'm Dr. Tanya Breland. And I am
1: Erica Leek. Welcome back. I am Dr. Tanya Breland. And I'm Erica Leek, and this is our podcast series, Why Is It So Hard? Shining Through the Shadows of Resistance. In this podcast series, we discuss issues that present us from being that prevent us, sorry, from being socially just and free. And the goal here is to disrupt racial inequality and inequity in systems. Mm-hmm. The kinds of things we don't even see anymore. So what we challenge ourselves to do is to be the change we want to see. We've heard that a lot, but here we're really trying to live that. Our new series is called Justice for All. Mm-hmm. And today our we have a special guest with us. Yes,
0: we do. Um, Erica Kelly is our guest. And Erica is going to be talking to us about justice and mental health, yeah. which is really an, an issue that we see a lot about yes. and hear a lot about. Um, I I have to say it has become much more prevalent Mm -hmm. um, in the news and in social media, um, especially since the pandemic. Absolutely. Um, And so, you know, social justice, you know, and mental health, you know, they Mm -hmm. kind of go hand in hand, but in ways that most people might not think about it. Right. Um, And it's really about like, You know where there is access Mm -hmm. and or where there might not be access and where there are inequities or where are there equities Mm -hmm. within the system Mm -hmm. and so we have Erica with us and I'm going to let our Erica (laughs) introduce (laughs) our guest Erica um, and tell you a little bit more about her as we get started in this conversation
1: yes well Erica and I go way back Um, we worked at a state agency together And Erica has, her experience spans, you know, state and local um, environments and and organizations. And now she's working in the nonprofit space and she's just doing some work. And what I love about, I I heard this term um, a few months ago in terms of following the joy. And what Erica does and I'll let her talk a little bit more about you know the work that she does and her her areas and her 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 passion in terms of of her work but um what I really appreciate is that she has found something that she can truly follow the joy and her expertise (laughs) so eric i'm gonna ask sorry ask you to um just talk a little bit about your work in the mental health space um particularly as it pertains to to justice
2: absolutely well first thank you both for just allowing me to be here and for us to be able to just have this space i think when we talk about access one of the things I always think about is just awareness and education. And so I think just by having these conversations, we are doing our part to be able to contribute to mental health uh, equity. And so uh, my career trajectory and my lifelong passion has always been to advance uh, social justice by creating pathways to collective healing from trauma. And what that essentially means is how can we look at three buckets. And so look at ourselves and how can we be introspective to help with our own personal healing. And then that touches our families, our workspaces, our friends, and how we can impact and influence those around us. And also, uh, encourage them to actually be able to um, look at their own mental health and be introspective. And so that's how we get to the collective healing. But then the other part that I don't think uh, that's addressed often enough is uh, how can we impact the system? And so all three are uh, intertwined and all three influence one another, the individual, the collective, and the system. And so uh, what I do through my organization Um, Sage Horizons, which is the entrepreneurial piece. And then the sister to Sage Horizons is our nonprofit, which is Soaring Phoenix. And we use research practice, uh, including healing-centered writing and poetry, combined with Lived experiences and empathy that is so important to be able to build the capacity of the workforce. So we train and coach uh, leaders to be able to lead inclusively and equitably, and also to be able to to provide uh, effective and sensitive care to the teams that they lead in the communities that they serve. And then again, that final piece looking at the system, how can we address systemic and policy inequities again to ensure that our communities, schools, workplaces, and home environments are safe and supportive?
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. That that's really good. Yeah. Um, you know, you're doing some really important work. And, you know, when I think about um, you know, what we continue to see, you know, in, in the news and in social media, you relate it to Mental health, mm-hmm. we also know that not everyone has access yeah. to it. You know, or there may be barriers that are in place. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen and your experience and and even ways that you uh, might even recommend that those barriers be removed? Um can you talk a little bit about that?
2: I think you hit the nail on the head when you said access. So when we think about access there are historically marginalized and minoritized populations that don't have access to things like insurance. We don't have access to quality treatment. We don't have access to medication. And there are some factors that contribute to lack of access. And uh, when we think about disparities, and sometimes it's income, uh, mobility. Mm -hmm. And again, when we think about income depending on where you live. If you live in a rural area um, and you don't have transportation, that uh is directly correlates with your mobility. Also our work schedules. Um there are a lot of uh, mental health providers that do you know have extended office hours but there are some families that are working multiple multiple jobs. So when we think about being able to to get to the mental health provider and how does that um uh, translate with our work schedules. That can also be an issue. Uh, lack of childcare, mm-hmm. and even when we think about uh, families now, we may have ex- uh, extended family members. So you might be a grandparent <laughs> that might want to, you know, get right. to your mental health provider, but you can't because you're helping your um, your child. You know, raise the children. Um, so of course, there's the lack of childcare. And then I think there's uh, the stigma in a lot of um, just different cultures. And I think sometimes it even expands past cultures. If you think about uh, what's shown on TV and Hollywood, how we're so quick to to, to call women crazy, to call anyone crazy. And so there's the stigma. There's a stigma. If you need medication, you're on medication for that. You know, back in the day, we didn't (laughs) we didn't take medication. Um, and so there's, there's a stigma behind that. And then there's again, that structural, uh, racism, institutional racism that again, can be a little bit uncomfortable to talk about. Mm -hmm.
0: We talk about it all the time. So feel free,
2: (laughs) (laughs) but you know, but that, that is real. And when we think about the systems that we have in place, how quickly we're able to, uh, i think mis misclassify a lot of our students in education and i think again not being culturally responsive and just the first thing you want to say is oh they they they, they might be uh, special needs they're, they're special education and i think you know again not thinking about well what happened to them or what's going on in their lives that could be perhaps um contributing to their behavior And then there's language. Sometimes it doesn't even have anything to do with mental health. It's just there could be a language barrier. And so the children can be acting out because they just can't communicate and the teachers can't communicate with them. So, again, there's the just misdiagnosis. And again, I think that goes to just the um, those structural uh, pieces that, again, all those things kind of impact our Where we are in terms of our mental health today yeah
1: erica you talked about stigma and i think that's huge right but at the beginning um when tanya was introducing um you know this this episode she said you know and i agree like we hear more about it we we talk more about it now do you think that that's done anything to to combat um stigma cause you, we see it on social media. We even see commercials about different medications. Like when I was a little girl, you didn't see that on TV. No, not You, know? at all. Um, you even hear about it sometimes um, in church, like some churches, like that was, we never talked about that Absolutely in, in not. church when I was just a kid. Just need Jesus. That's right, that's it. That's <laughs> it, just pray about it, right? Um, so, you know, do you think that um, that has done anything to combat the stigma um, around, you know, um, mental health? Or do you think it's contributed to it?
2: I think it has impacted it, um, and I think in a positive way. But I think often there's a lot of band-aids, and so yes, we can we can take medication, and that can that can help me with my anxiety. Uh, but I think what's missing is going beneath the surface and finding out. What is causing that anxiety? And I think the way to get to that is through emotional processing. And those can be very, very difficult, painful, hard conversations that need to be had. But I think how can we get to the root of what's causing my anxiety, uh, what's causing my anger versus so quickly uh giving medication that's going to alter my behavior now i do think that there are sometimes it could be something uh neurologically you know something with your brain that you you may need medication to impact that but again i think it just needs to be a step back and um having those conversations and in terms of contributing and um, combating that stigma. I don't even think it always has to be formalized therapy or cognitive behavior therapy or getting to the therapist. I just think having those difficult conversations with our loved ones and being able to be aware and acknowledging that so much of what we're experiencing goes back to our childhood. And so sometimes it's just being seen, just being heard. A lot of us are upset with our, our parents, um, because we feel we may not have gotten the emotional support that we needed, but depending on your background, and I'll speak for myself personally, um, you know, there was, there was poverty, we were in survival mode. So, you know, me worrying about crying, it's, it's it's almost like, I can't worry about your little feelings. We're, (laughs) we worried about where's the next meal coming from. But then, you know, you grow up and now you're having these different behaviors because there was some emotional neglect. So with your friends, your partner, you might be clingy, but there are reasons for that. And so again, I'll use myself and my own lived experiences, which I think have helped um, a lot of other people and just being able to to talk about that and um, being able to uh, look at my caregiver's with more compassion now and realizing that they did the best they can with the, where the capacity of were, And so that helped me to, you know, forgive my, my, my caregivers and also look at them more holistically, more holistically as, um, a person and not always honing in on the lack part and realizing that she instilled some amazing things in me. Um, a nurturer, loyal, but again, just having those difficult conversations and, and processing that. And I think that to me is, it has been, um, I think that's going to be the changing, the changing factor is I think it's just beyond, um, medication. Sure. Thank,
0: you know, thank you for your transparency, mm-hmm. just sharing a little bit of your own, um, Situation, and and I think what I heard as you were talking, I just I heard the personal side to mm-hmm. this. You know that you know it's we often will kind of have like a sterilized conversation mm-hmm. about mental health, mm-hmm. and you know quite honestly, it's it's something that really impacts yeah. our lives in a major way. You know the way that we um, see the world, the mm-hmm. way that we um, show up in the world, yeah. all of that you know has major has a major impact on, uh, you know, what has happened in our past, for example, you know, our families of origin have a major impact on, you know, how we show up in this world. Mm -hmm. And I just really appreciate how you've just kind of, you know, brought this conversation around to being more personal. When you think about, you know, um, young people out there, um, because we know that you know, there's, there's also um, a lot of trauma yeah. that our young people have experienced. There's racial trauma that still hasn't gone away that is very much a part of many of our experiences. You know, Eric and I have talked about that mm-hmm. in the past, um, but when you think about you know, what our young people um, are facing as it relates to um, mental health, their mental health, Um, What would you say some of the some of the biggest concerns are and even ways that society and systems can support our young people?
2: Again, I think it goes back to um, communication and and expression Mm -hmm. and I think the key is being able to maintain a regulated nervous system. And there's just so many things in our society. And, and you know, I, I just love that we're having these conversations about colonization and decolonization. But I, again, I'll speak for myself personally. I sometimes find myself um, just getting sad and then I find myself getting angry. And so I just have to process those feelings. I'm a, a mother to... Um, three three boys and so it was so interesting um when they were younger and having uh friends that had uh daughters versus sons and always hearing oh boys are so much easier boys are so much easier but i'll have to say my stress level is just so different in ways that's different from my friends that have daughters and having to have those difficult conversations about them um now that they're driving, I have two 18-year-olds. And I even remember uh my son when he was about 15. And um, you know, again, he exercising his independence and he didn't understand why he couldn't come back in at eight o'clock. And he said, Mom, I'm just playing basketball. And I said, You cannot be on the streets <laughs> just at a basketball court by mm-hmm. yourself playing basketball. Mm-hmm. And that was one of those um, situations where he just he just couldn't see it. And even though I tried to explain to him about uh, the police, and you know, that was one where I just said, you, "Look, you're just gonna have to be upset with me." As you get older, you will understand. But you cannot. If you want to find a why that you want to go to YMCA or some place where you're indoors with other people, but I need you in. <laughs> before it gets dark sure <laughs> right. so um yeah that was a, a level of stress and even as i talk about it, it's a level of stress and um anxiety and i hear so many times about our um just our our, our black boys and so again just thinking about um i think what young people can do is just uh, just processing that that anger that they might be feeling and it, it, hearing more about what happened to black and brown populations, you know, just in terms of colonization. I mean, it was some heavy, some really painful things that happened, you know, to our ancestors. And so, again, just, just processing that and having a space to be able to do that. And it, again, through Sage Horizons and Soaring Phoenix, we don't just um, highlight the ex- the expression through verbal, but through writing. There's research that shows that Being able, if you write for an extended period of time, how that helps with emotional processing. So just recognizing that there's things that we can do personally and not always Mm -hmm. looking externally to be able to keep our nervous systems um, regulated. And again, going back to my sons, you know, I, I tell them, you really have to be mindful of the way you express your anger, because we don't get the grace that a lot of other uh, populations and races get. You just cannot, you you can't, you can't, all this popping off and throwing stuff, you know, stuff again. I've even been in the workplace and I've seen, you know, different races throwing stuff and knocking stuff off their desk. And I just thought if I did that, they would have me in handcuffs. Absolutely. (laughs) That's right to do that so right, right. you know th- learning how to take that deep breath yeah. and
1: and again not not
2: not lose your cool
1: right yeah Erica I love that because I I often think about how um the frustration that my father felt from being you know having suffered indignities or discrimination was definitely passed down to us I mean mm-hmm. my father You know would um just sort of impart extreme amounts of caution and we would get anxious Mm -hmm. about it and we would get really nervous and um so i love sort of you know like some of the the strategies that you shared you know the writing and the breathing um but would you would you say that there is like there needs to be balance between caution and anxiety um or caution and and nervousness and like where would you say that 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 is? Because I think we've all had these conversations. I think, particularly marginalized communities, but especially I think African Americans in this country, mm-hmm. we've we've had these conversations with our kids. Like there are certain things that you just can't do, right? Um, and in this generation, you know, and and um, I feel like there's so there's so much more. Like, well, why can't I? You know, those kinds of things. Um, I I wonder kind of. About that, like where do you think where do you see that line?
2: and you know, Eric and Tanya, that is just so um that's just so important and so and so key and again I again me personally, I'm thankful for uh creating an environment with my children where I'm okay with getting feedback from them and there have been times when they mom you then they they know how to use their words I, I think you're a little triggered it's going to be okay. And so they've had to put, you know, put me in check and, and just say, you've instilled these things in us. We know how to carry ourselves respectfully. Um, We're not going to put ourselves in situations um, that could be compromising or um, again, being by yourself after hours. So I think it's one of those things once you have those things in, in place, you yeah. have to let it go. And I, I remind myself all the time, like, okay, they've 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 done, you know, their due diligence. You you have to let it go. And I rely on my faith, trust God. And I also rely on um statistics. And so I share this with folks that uh suffer from anxiety. If you look at the outcomes like a spectrum from A to Z. To be honest, the likelihood that the worst outcome, which would be Z, the just the likelihood is that that's not going to happen. So just move the dial somewhere between letter O, and that's probably a little bit more realistic. And so again, I can go from, oh no, it's getting dark. The cops are going to pull them over and kill them. No, Erica, let's take it back. <laughs> let's, let's, you went from A to Z, <laughs> and now you know, you're know you're driving yourself crazy. Just bring it back. 'cause statistically, that's really just not likely. And so I think again, thinking of ways that we can internally manage our um our anxiety and not taking that caution to, to, to quite honestly, panic and paranoia. Because <laughs> that's not nobody. That's good,
1: yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, it's a lot, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. especially when you're a parent, you do, yeah. you do worry about the well-being. And when you're a Black parent, mm-hmm. and when you're a Black parent that has boys, and I know you still have concerns even mm-hmm. with the girls, yeah. but there is something that, you know, in our society, that there there's this kind of shared trauma that yeah. we have that just it's, it's scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I know that you know school systems are doing more than they had in the past. Um, you know, maybe other organizations are doing more as well. Erica, if you were to, if you had an opportunity to testify in in front of like you know state Congress and and give recommendations for the kinds of policies that should come forth to really hone in on supporting our, you know black and brown mm-hmm. kids you know in the school system what would you say to that you know to that um congress if you will
1: i
2: think I, I would yeah i think i would first say that we need to look at our um almost an organizational assessment so wherever there's organizations that are serving children and families to make sure that it's trauma-informed. And that just essentially means make sure it's safe. Make sure it's a place where I feel safe coming to work. I feel safe coming to school. And I think when you take that basic uh, principle, then you can go within the layers and start thinking, well, what does it mean to be safe? That means uh, not feeling as though I'm going to get ridiculed because of my race, my religion, my sexual orientation. And I think once you do that, then you can just continue to go uh, peel back the layers. And so that means um, having conversations about uh, diversity. And again, diversity covers so many things, race, culture, uh, sexual orientation, and i think that lends to the culturally responsive piece and i think that we it is a responsibility for our leaders that are touching these different populations to be educated in these different areas and i also think taking um diversity seriously and looking at how um we essentially need a diverse workforce Mm -hmm. and there's again, research that shows if, if I have a um, similar background with similar lived experiences that I can just connect with certain populations um, in a way that others can't. And again, there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with um, having a teacher or a peer or someone that doesn't look like you. But I think again, just, um, affording those, the opportunity to be able to be able to connect with those that look like them. Because again, it's those, the expertise, the lived experiences and the empathy. I think that that makes up, uh, for, I think, which, which is often at the root of a lot of our pain is the connection. And even when we think about, uh, mental health providers, and if you are getting formal therapy,
1: mm-hmm. if,
2: you're talking about issues um, like racism and they just can't understand because they just have, they just don't understand. I'm not gonna fault them, but expecting them to be able to help you process that sometimes or even strategies on how to live in this environment, um, there's just often a a disconnect. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I would say uh, again, how can we make sure that our environments are safe and then thinking about what that means and peeling back all the layers in, in that way. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. we often um, in our as we sort of wind down our, our really wonderful conversation, uh, we often think a lot about kind of long term consequences of not addressing um, you know an issue such as mental health. Like if we continue to not a- address, but. I'd like to dream for just a second, so what do you think you talked about connection you, thought, you talked about people making connections with each other, um, you know when we have representation, right. accurate representation. Could you like just sort of paint a picture for us of like what are the long term consequences of fully and comprehensively addressing the mental health needs that you know we have, particularly with our young people. Like what happens when we see this done well?
2: Mm-hmm. I think when we see this done well, I think that uh, the relationships that we have with people and the way that we resolve conflict, um, I think it just makes for a harmonious environment and that means at home in the workplace with your with your your partner with your children again i think when it's done well those are the those are the things that matter and as these young people grow up to be leaders and managers uh just remembering just just that ripple how every person that we touch how that can um just how much influence that we have. And so I think that's first. And then I think also just, um, combating this generational and intergenerational trauma. I, I I talk to my, um, my boys, my young men all the time. And I I tell them, look, it it stops here. (laughs) We're Mm -hmm. not doing this. Mm -hmm. You know, when I Mm -hmm. ask you, how do you feel about this or this situation? Yeah saying i don't know is unacceptable yeah, <laughs> yeah. that is not mm-hmm. going to fly yeah and so you know pulling out that list of 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 adjectives adjectives go through these words and i need you to you know let's just talk about it but again i created that environment that's safe for them to do that so i think for young people um realizing that it starts with them go home and love your parents love your siblings love your friends and just realize that our own self healing truly does contribute to uh, the collective healing.
0: You've given us so much to mm-hmm. think about, um, and you you said it. You ended it really well. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Erica, because um, we're gonna we're gonna take some time to even think more about this. But we're really happy that you were able to just share your perspective, share your own lived experiences with us and with our audience. Um, and we hope that the nuggets that we were able to take away um, will be impactful for what we do yeah. when we're interacting mm-hmm. with, with our, our families and our community. And also all of you you know, who are watching, we hope that you were able to take something away from this conversation that you can use, that you can think about, that you could push organizations to do more and to do better. Um, for our young people, for the workplace, all of that's really important for us to have a healthy society and for us to have justice in our society. So again, Erica, thank you so much. Thank you, Erica. For for showing up today and for just (laughs) sharing you with Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. And um, again, I am Dr. Tanya Breeland.
1: And I'm Erica Leek. And again, we thank Erica Kelly for being with us today. Have a great day, everybody, and thank you for joining us.